Heavenly Father, we thank Thee once again for allowing us again to gather together and to be together in, in this oasis and, and to hear Thy Word preached and proclaimed. And uh, we pray that You would, uh, you would take these words and, and uh, minister to Your people, Lord Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would illuminate the Scriptures and teach us more and more again of Christ. And, and that we would not take for granted the, the wonderful privilege and honor we have of gathering together. Uh, we love You. We praise You. We pray that you would be magnified and glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll continue our, our study in this wonderful book that we've been going through. 1 Peter, we're now in chapter 4. We'll be finishing the chapter, Lord willing, today. And um, today's message is called Bearing Reproach for Christ. Bearing Reproach for Christ. And we're continuing this book. And this book is a book about suffering saints whom Peter's writing to. And he's writing to them, exhorting them um, on various things. But he's exhorting them and keeps bringing them to Christ and, and continuously, continuously brings forth in contrast the sufferings of Christ with their own sufferings and how although our sufferings are great to us, and they are when we're going through it, uh, in light of what Christ suffered for us, it, it really is small what we go through here. Although, again, I'm not minimizing anything that we go through because it's huge to us. It's big to us. But in light of what, what Christ suffered to redeem his people from their sins, it's amazing. Now, when we were last together, we looked at how love covers a multitude of sin and how the believer in Christ is one who is forgiving. We, we, we let things go. We let things go. Uh, when we consider the great, the great amount of forgiveness that we have, the great pardon that we've received in and through Christ, it's not hard for us to be forgiving towards other people. And Brother Joe made a wonderful statement when he was here. We were talking at the house, and I think he touched on it a little bit in one of his lessons, but, but he made a wonderful statement when he was here in regard to this. He, he brought forth that if we, if we look at each other in Christ, if we look at each other in Christ, it'll make it easier for us to forgive our brethren when they've wronged us um, or, or, or when they've done something that, that hasn't pleased us. And it'll, it'll make it easy for us to forgive them. And, and, and if they look at us in Christ, it'll make it easier for them to forgive us too when we've wronged them. Right? So if we all look at each other in Christ, we, we, we see our insufficiencies, don't we? We see, because like Joe said, we're all going to let each other down. But if we see each other in Christ, if we look at each other in Christ, it makes it very easy for us to forgive one another. And we, we see each other as members of the body of Christ. We see each other as members of the body of Christ. So let's look at our text today. It'll be found in verses 12 to 19 here. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, being Christ. But on your part, he is glorified. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him, being Christ, in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So, we have here before us, in verse 12, that in 13, that, that we're, we're not to count it strange. We're not to count it strange when we suffer for Christ when we suffer in this world for Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, Hawker brings forth uh, that in this portion, it's probable that the Apostle Paul had in view the ruin of Jerusalem, when he spoke these words, um, especially with, the, with the, the verse that talks about judgment being at the house of the Lord. Um, the Lord, when he spoke about Jerusalem, concerning with the destruction of Jerusalem, and that was coming fast. That was coming fast when, when this was being written. Um, Jerusalem was to be sacked in the most awful way. And... They, the, the Christians, the church in Jerusalem, was, was being reproached for Christ. They were suffering, beloved. They were suffering for what they believed. They were being ostracized by their Jewish families, and they were suffering. In the time of judgment, beginning at Jerusalem in the temple, that is the house of God, literally took place in, in 70 A.D. When, when, when Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. And let us not forget that amongst those unbelieving Jews, there was believing. There was believing brethren. There was Jews who had believed Christ. And so let us take comfort that these words will suit the church in all ages too. In all ages. And we'll see this. All the ages. Through all the ages, God's people have suffered. Just read Fox's book of Christian Martyrs. Just make sure you got it a box of Kleenex beside you when you're going to read that book. What these people suffered for Christ. We have it very easy. We have it very easy. But what sweet comfort God's people can take from this book. God's suffering saints all through the ages know that the one who support all those saints that went before them and all the saints who will come after them is the Lord Jesus Christ. The same Lord who supported them through their fiery trials is the same Lord who will support us through our fiery trials. The same one who bore these suffering saints as, as they were reproached for Christ is the same Lord who will, who will bear us through the trials when we're reproached for Christ. The same Lord, beloved. The same Lord. And note here he brings forth the fact that they are beloved of God right away. Look at verse 12. 
beloved. They're beloved of God. So Peter's writing again to God's blood-bought people. He's writing to God's blood-bought people. The word beloved in the Greek is beloved ones. Beloved ones. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. Now the this word is a, is a Greek word, beloved. It, the, the underlying Greek word means divinely loved ones. Divinely loved ones. It speaks of God's divine and infinite love. That's comforting. That's comforting for God's people. One, tra- guys, one, one Greek scholar said we could translate it divinely loved ones. Divinely loved ones. And Peter uses this word as a descriptive title, reminding the recipients of this letter, who again were suffering for their, for their faith because of persecution, because of what they believed. But Peter comforts them here. And what is the, what is the charge to God's, peop, God's preachers, right? Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. So we see Peter here comforting the suffering saints of God, letting them know that they were loved with an everlasting love by our great God. And again, what a sweet pillow this would be for them to lay their head upon, one commentator said. Just like we lay our head at night, resting, despite everything that's going on in this world. We see, st- we see things going on, we think, my goodness, what's going on? But isn't it amazing that you and I, who believe, can pillow our head at night, knowing that our God is in full control. And we wake up in the morning and we don't have to stress about the world's events and the thing, knowing that our God is in full control. My. And, and, and sometimes with Peter we cry, Lord, help my unbelief. <laughs> don't we? Because we get worked up sometimes about things going on. That's when we just got to keep focusing on our great king. Use this as a pillow. Use this... This comforting word is a pillow for your heart. Beloved. Beloved. God's people are beloved of God. What comfort is found in this one little word? Beloved. Now Peter brings forth that they are to think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. In the Greek it's think it not alien. Don't think it, don't think it to be alien that you're, not, you're going to go through things because we do. We do go through things as believers. Don't think it alien that, that you have these trials and tribulations. Oh my. In verse 13, look what it brings forth. You are partakers of Christ's suffering. So if our Lord suffered, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The Christians were thinking that the suffering which they were enduring was a thing foreign or alien to their Christian lives. As if Christianity provided an immunity from suffering. And this is something we need to let new converts know. This is something we need to let people who are young in the faith know. 
that they're going to suffer for their faith. They're going to suffer for their faith. They're going to go through trials and tribulations. But let us never forget, in light of our suffering, as our dear brother Drew brought out, afterward afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby afterward. So when you're going through a trial and a tribulation, afterward, beloved, afterward. Let us remember that. And note here the fiery trial mentioned here in verse 12. The same Greek word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the Septuagint in Proverbs 27.21 and Psalm 66.10. Let's turn there if we could. And it's rendered a furnace. It's rendered a furnace. Look over in Psalm 27.21 and Psalm 66.10 is where we'll go. A furnace, beloved. So our trials are like a furnace. Look in Psalm 27, 21. As the firing pot, finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to, to his praise. I'm sorry, that's Proverbs 27, 21. I messed it up again. Proverbs 27, 21. Not Psalm 27. Proverbs 27. And then we'll go to Psalm 66, 10. Proverbs 27, 21. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Furnace there. We see that that rendered furnace for gold. And then go to Psalm 66.10. Now what happens when you put gold into a, into a furnace? It becomes refined. It becomes refined. Here's an old story for you that I read years ago. A man walked into a, to a smith's back in the days when they used to smith gold and and he asked the smith, he said, I see that you're, you've got the, the fire burning, the furnace burning there. How do you know when the gold's done? How do you know when the gold is refined? You know what that old smith said to him? When I can see my reflection. Think of that when we go through trials and tribulations. And remember this, we're being conformed to the image of Christ while we're here on this earth. My goodness, blood. We're going through a fiery furnace. We're being refined, beloved. Remember, we're being stones made ready. Stones made ready. Look at this in Psalm 66.10. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. And this again speaks of the refining process. So let's go back to our text in verse 12 of chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. So the word in our text for fiery there literally means a burning. It's a furnace. But it's used in these passages in the Greek Septuagint that we just looked at to refer to a smelting furnace. And the smelting process in which gold or silver is purified. 
So Peter here in our text, in our verse, in verse 12, is bringing forth that the sufferings which the recipients of this letter were undergoing was like God, like God refining them in a smelting furnace. Kind of changes the perspective of our trials and tribulations, doesn't it? And let us remember that this, that trials are not strange and unusual for the true believer. They're common for all of us. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus. Here are four things for us to remember about trials. They try our faith. They try our faith, which becomes more precious through trial because Christ is the object of our faith. They try our love for Christ, which cannot be dimmed or or drowned in the floods of suffering. They actually draw us closer to the Lord. I remember Sister Marge talking to Sister Marge, and she said, Brother Wayne, I thank God for this cancer that I have because it's drawn me closer to the Lord than I've ever been before. Brother Tim, you can attest to that. We used to talk to her on the phone, and it was amazing to talk to her. It was just incredible. They also try our hope of eternal life. They, they wean us from the fleshy foundations of this world. We have grave clothes on, beloved. <laughs> we have grave clothes on, and they fall off when we go through fiery trials and different things that come up in our lives. And they try our profession of religion. They try our profession of Christ, revealing whether it is in Christ's person or, or in the loaves and fishes he provides. Right? Tries our faith. Is it real? Let's quickly look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now the Christian has... No cause for rejoicing and suffering that is brought on because of our own misdoing. We don't have any cause for that. And oftentimes that's the case with us, right? But the suffering here mentioned is when we suffer for righteousness' sake and, and, and for Christ. Now, we will never, ever enter into what he suffered upon the cross because he treaded the wide press of the fierceness and wrath of, of Almighty God alone. Now, the sufferings of Christ, which are, we share in common, are, are his sufferings for righteousness' sake, which, well, even while he was dying upon the cross, they were throwing barbs at him. They were reproaching him, even as our Savior died upon the cross. The sinless one, dying for sinners. The sufferings are the sufferings that he suffered, that are spoken here, the sufferings that he suffered before. He went to the cross too. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote of these sufferings. And Peter here writes of these sufferings also. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now we know that Paul's suffering for Christ. He's suffering because of his faith in Christ. He's being reproached for his faith. Colossians 1, 24 and 25. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. But now look, he rejoices in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. And let's go back to our text. Peter brings forth 
that in these sufferings we are able to rejoice and give the glory to the Lord. As these trials and afflictions, think of this too. When we're being reproached and when we're being going through trials for our faith, God's allowing that to happen. When your family turns against you, I had that happen. Brother Donnie had that happen. When, when people who you know and love and don't want to have nothing to do with you because of your belief in Christ, it's hard. But we have to remember that these trials and afflictions have been bought upon us by the will of God. Have been bought upon us by the will of God for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And rejoice, beloved God, that the hand of God is upon you in mercy. Rejoice. Rejoice that he's having mercy on you and not wrath. Rejoice. Making you like Christ as you go through trials and tribulations, as he's conforming you to the image of Christ. And, and rejoice that he counts you worthy to suffer. To suffer for his glory. Rejoice that you are blessed to share the sufferings of Christ. Being identified with him in a world that rejects and hates him. We were once there, weren't we? Rejoice. Also, beloved of God, that, that his full glory will be revealed in the last day. Rejoice that you've been identified with him, suffered with him, confessed him, and that one day you'll be glorified by him. And you'll see him face to face. Let's look at verses 14 and 16 together. and We see an indication of the character of these sufferings as the world was casting in the teeth of Christians to whom Peter was writing to. Now, I talked to Brother Drew yesterday, and he was, we were talking about this portion a little bit. And, and um, he said, yeah, I knew a guy who said, oh, I'm, being, I'm suffering for Christ. He was the most cantankerous man he said he'd ever met. He said, no, you're not. And he said, oh, yeah, I am. He said, no, you're not. You're causing the trouble. <laughs> My goodness. Look at verses 14 and 16 here. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. Now think of that. That's flipped from, from our natural state, isn't it? Oh, what a miracle. What a miracle the new birth and, and salvation in, in Christ is. Look at that. We once spoke evil of him. I did. And now I glorify him. I just look at that and marvel. Just marvel at that. But let none of, a, none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. We see there in verse 14, they're being reproached, which in the Greek means to deframe, disparage, reproach. Generally, it means to rail at and revile, to assail with abusive words. 
And think of this. This is what they did to our Lord while he hung upon the cross. This is what they did to our Lord during his ministry. But you know what our Lord says to us? Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Look at this. And keep this in mind, too, that, that to be reproached is to be revealed, too. Matthew 5.11. I, I think this will bless your soul. Bless my soul when I read it. Oh, my. Look at this. Same Greek word used in Matthew 5.11 here, translated revile. Same Greek word as reproach there. Same Greek word. Matthew 5, we'll read verses 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, or reproach, as Peter, it's over there in 1 Peter, when they revile you, when they speak evil of you when you've not done evil. Blessed are ye, and persecute you. You ever been persecuted for your faith? And And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Who's our reward, beloved? Ah, Christ is our reward, isn't he? Oh, my, beloved. Oh, my. Calvin comments this way on this verse here. He said, Peter here brings forth reproaches because there is often more bitterness in them than in the loss of goods or in the the torments or agonies of the body. Uh, There is therefore nothing which is more grievous to the ingenious minds Um, For we see that many who who are strong to bear want or courageous in torments may, may, or even bold to meet death, do yet succumb under reproach. So when religionists speak evil of you, and others speak evil of you and persecute you for your faith in Christ Jesus, and persecute you for, for belief in the gospel of God's sovereign grace, Don't be downcast, beloved. Rejoice. 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 Look at verse 15 now. But let none of you suffer as a a murderer or as a thief or as as an evildoer or as a busybody in other man's matters. Peter brings forth, let, let none of us suffer reproach. And here we see the context is a murderer, uh, which is one who hates or destroys other people's character. and reputation by either gossip or slander or or who wishes misfortune upon others. Then he brings forth, let let none of you suffer reproach as a thief, which is one who robs men of of the love you owe them and the gospel message you're sent to share. Let none of you suffer reproach as an evildoer or as a meddler or as a busybody, one who takes upon themselves to manage, direct, or command the affairs and lives of others. So Peter's contrasting, saying, this, you're bringing this upon yourself if you're suffering for these things. You see? If you suffer for Christ's sake, you're suffering for righteousness. But these things, don't, don't be found to be bearing reproach for these things, because this is all the flesh. You see the contrast? He's teaching them, isn't he? He's teaching them. These things will bring reproach upon those who do them, but they're not suffering for righteousness' sake, but they're reproaches that one brings upon themselves. So Peter's bringing forth 
don't do this. <laughs> and even for us, don't be like this. <laughs> don't be like this. See, I love the scriptures this way because it teaches us, doesn't it? It teaches us. So let's consider, too, a little history in light of these words. It says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. Now, there was the cult of Caesar. We've looked at that before. It was the state religion of the Roman Empire. And the emperor was worshipped as God. And this served two purposes. This served two purposes back then. The subjects of Rome gave obedience to the laws of the empire, not only as a political, but as a religious duty. And it was a unifying factor. And think, I, I think more so from this, being studying history in aspects, it's, it was a uni, unifying factor which, which bound the many different people of the empire. Because remember, their empire was vast and it consisted of, of many different people. Right? Many different, they've conquered all these places and now they've assimilated them in. And they, they even conscripted. Uh, their auxiliaries were made often of, of young men who were from countries which they had taken over. And they had the opportunity eventually to become a legionnaire, but at first they were an auxiliary. But think of this. It was a unifying factor which bound the many different peoples of the empire into one. And made the military task of holding together its far-flung dominion an easier one. They could control the masses this way. And so Rome saw the expansion of Christianity as a challenge to the imperialism of the Caesars. And thus the Christians suffered persecution by the Roman government. And also by the citizens of Rome. The, the government stirred them up. Stirred them up against the Christians. So in light of this, beloved, if, if you are privileged to suffer for being a true believer in Christ, if you're privileged to suffer for loving his word, for loving his gospel and loving his grace, then, then give all the glory to God. Give him all the glory, beloved. Give him all the glory. Again, look at verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. I'll read Matthew, Matthew again. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice. You're suffering for Christ's sake, for righteousness' sake. Rejoice. It's hard for us to rejoice sometimes when we're being reproached, like Calvin said. It's one of the hardest things to suffer under. The Lord says rejoice. Rejoice. And again, who is our reward in heaven? Christ. Christ. Just keep your eyes upon him. Keep your eyes upon him. Look at verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God. Note the house of God is speaking of the true sons of God, those who are born again and blood washed. And this judgment here is not for the sins of God's people. They've already been judged at Calvary's cross. No. And there's no condemnation, no judgment for God's people. And God's people say, praise our mighty name. The judgment here is by trial and affliction and suffering. And it's, and it's by these things that he will try our faith. And he'll try our faith, our love, and our trust. And this, this is all the household of God, the, the elect of God. We all go through things. There's not one believer who's, who's exempt from suffering. And if you haven't suffered for, for Christ, you, you will. 
as well. All God's people go through trials and afflictions which, which prove that we, are, that we are His. That we are His. And, and God's people are proven beyond doubt to be His. To be His. He's proved, he proved the faith of Abraham, didn't he? He proved the faith of Job. Just read the book of Job. My goodness. But who, who upheld him that whole time? You see? There's that other side too, isn't there? <laughs> that we, 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 we get going through a trial or something and all we see is the storm, beloved. <laughs> there he is carrying us through it all. Carrying us through it all. Comforting us. So if God is pleased to put his children through the furnace of affliction to prove their faith, what will be the fate of those who bear his infinite wrath? Well, the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. And if the righteous, look at verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now ponder this, beloved. The believer is saved with difficulty because of the holiness of God's law because of the holiness of God's law and the strictness of his righteous judgment. And what did that require? It required the perfect obedience and the infinite suffering of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God incarnate. So then what shall become of the ungodly and the unbeliever? Oh my. Since God spared not his Son to redeem his people from their sins, Will they spare the ungodly? No. No. Oh, how dreadful will be the end of all those who would not obey the gospel. They'll be cut off and destroyed, beloved. Look at verse 19. We're, we're finished with verse 19 here. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Here, Peter here brings forth before the suffering saints that all the suffering that they're going through is according to the will of God. It's according to the will of God. It's, it's according to the will of God that they're suffering reproach. It's by the will of God that they're going through fiery trials, that they're in the furnace. It'd do us well to remember this, wouldn't it, when we go through things. It's by the will of God and by his sovereign will and wisdom for us to suffer and endure trials for his glory. And may we commit our souls unto he who has all power over all things, visible and invisible. I was watching the grass today in the wind. And I'm watching that little wee blade of grass move. And I'm thinking, that blade of grass is moving all according to God's eternal purpose. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? See, we didn't think that way before, did we? <laughs> it's amazing. All by the will of God, beloved. It's absolutely incredible. And let us remember this. No matter what we go through no matter what comes as believers, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Never. And the same God who took these saints through the fiery trials and tribulations that they were going through is the same God who will carry us all the way to glory. Praise his mighty name. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your goodness and grace and mercy towards us. We are so undeserving, but yet you are so full of grace and mercy. Oh, Lord, let us, 
Let us rejoice in this wonderful salvation that we have in thee. Let us look to you as we go through fiery, the, the fiery furnace of trials and tribulations, Lord. Let us keep our eyes upon you. And, O oh Lord, let us bring to our hearts the remembrance that you are ever with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.